Rise and shine, you Syracuse superfans. It's time to pour yourself a tall, delicious glass of orange fizz. Syracuse recruiting news, insider information, latest SU buzz. The Syracuse blogosphere comes to life on the central New York airwaves. It's Fizz Radio. Let's get this week two party started. Jonathan Hoppy back with Gil Gross on Fizz Radio. The return of Jonathan and Gil, first time all year. Gil, it's great to be back. It is certainly great to be back for one of the biggest seasons in a really long time. Syracuse football coming off that 24 nothing win week one against Liberty. A shutout win. They look great doing it. Now they travel to Maryland. We're going to get into that matchup later. We'll have some stock up, stock down from week one. What position groups, what individual players did well, others not so much. Next segment, we'll get into the matchup with Maryland, the nitty-gritty. We both kind of have been diving in on that to figure out who's going to win this game. And then final segment, it's Fizz Feedback. But Gil, there's really no other place to start than that defensive performance week one. Man, I mean, I thought they would be good defensively. Not that good. And sure, it's Liberty, but still... Mm-hmm. It's not like Liberty's Howard that Maryland faced. Well, Dino Baber said this, and, and we, we knew about Kendall Coleman and Alton Robinson and how good that pass rush is going to be, but, but quite simply the, the pressure was astounding that SU was able to create on the Liberty quarterback Buckshot Calvert. He was, he was back there, and he had no time, and when, when you get that defensively, you're going to have a great day or a great night, plain and simple. They made Calvert look awful, and he's an experienced quarterback. Keep that in mind. Calvert's a guy that played really well his first two seasons. He's a program leader in a lot of different categories for them. Syracuse really got in his head, and I think that's going to happen when you get eight sacks. So the question with this defense becomes, do you think they can sustain it? Personally, I don't see why not. At all three levels, there's experience, and there's size, and there's skill. There's just a lot to like. And the linebackers, the weakest unit, Lakeem Williams and Andrew Armstrong played well also. Right. They looked pretty good, but the real test is going to come next week. And we'll, we'll get into Maryland a little bit later. My, the thing I'll be watching for is the run stopping because the strengths of this defense are in the secondary and in the edge pass rushing. What's going to happen when a team like Pittsburgh or a team like Clemson, because they'll do it week three, they're going to run it down SU's throat. What are they going to do with a really good interior run game? Are the linebackers, are Andrew Armstrong and Lakeem Williams still going to look good when the competition goes up above where Liberty was at? See, I think where this conversation is going to start to pivot in the coming weeks is not just about the edge rushers, Robinson and Coleman, but also the inside guys. McKinley Williams goes down, Kenneth Ruff comes in, has a big day, gets injured in the first quarter, comes back from that, but oh, by the way, when he's out, Curtis Harper does a great job as well, and then Josh Black moves over to the nose tackle from in last year, and he gets two sacks too. So you really can't say that it's only about the edge guys. The entire defensive line, they're going to make a case for themselves, and this is my prediction, as the best unit in the ACC. They won't have the flashy players like Clemson does. To me, they're the clear number two in the conference, and if they continue, they'll put themselves up there with the Tigers. I agree. I think they have a chance to do that. But even if you have a guy like Josh Black at nose tackle who gets two sacks, and a lot of those sacks are created by the pressure coming from the edge, 
still, uh, it, we'll see how good this D-line is, I think, next week. Because Maryland's a really good team when it comes to running the football. And that's something that, that Liberty couldn't really threaten Syracuse with as much. Uh, especially once they went down and they were forced to pass the ball. And that's where the D-line, you know, the, it's obviously great, but maybe they looked even better than they are. This is Fizz Radio on the Score 1260. Thanks so much for joining us each and every Saturday. We've got you at 9 to 10 a.m. You can also listen to this episode online. The podcasted version without commercials is posted. Orange Fizz on SoundCloud, Apple Podcast. Google, I think Stitcher, I don't know, pretty much. Spotify, Jonathan, that's how I listen. Wherever you get your podcast, we're going to be there. Just search Orange Fizz, and if you like the show, please leave us a review. Subscribe as well. We'll be here each and every week, hitting you up with some post-game content as well, so be on the lookout for that. On the flip side, though, offensively, some people are worried. Tommy DeVito makes his first start, doesn't look good, and it sounds like I'm just a complete homer right now, and it's hard (laughs) not to buy in. I'm not too worried about DeVito. I think he made his first start, and he'll continue to progress. I'd be shocked if the passing game struggled as much as it did against Liberty this time around. Well, uh, we're con- we're contrasting a little bit because I, I'm a little oh, bit worried. Oh, that's good. You know, they say that makes for great radio. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so here's the thing. Tommy DeVito is over 100 pass attempts with Syracuse now. His touchdown-to-interception ratio is 4-5. to five. Four touchdowns, five interceptions. He was under 50% completion percentage last year. He was under 50% against Liberty. So uh, right now, if you look at the entire body of work, things need to get better. Now, Eric Dungy, I, I think he, he knows what he's talking about. Four-year starting quarterback for Syracuse. He said, look, guys, the first start is different. The first start is a really difficult thing to pull off, and then after that, no excuses. I can buy into that, but but... How could you be so confident that things are going to improve when last year, I don't feel like he really showed us, you know, even though he had some some late game heroics and showed off his arm talent, I don't think he showed that he can manage a football game in a way that, you know, a winning quarterback needs to. You're right, but you don't get the chance to do that as a backup. And as a starter, the first time, like you just said, you cannot fully assess. So if he comes out and lays an egg against Maryland, I think you start to have that conversation. But right now, I think it's a bit premature. And that's all I'm okay. saying. I have not seen anything from DeVito to say that he's the answer in terms of a full game. I have seen that from him in short spurts. And people talk about him playing poorly against Notre Dame. Well, everybody did. You know, him playing somewhat poorly against Western Michigan, that was the opener, his first college performance ever. And he shined in that North Carolina game, and that's, I think, what you think about Tommy DeVito. You think gamer, you think arm talent, you think accuracy, all these things. I mean, people didn't just make that up, and we didn't see it last week. It's almost like they did last week. There was no passing game. It was non-existent. They could not go down the field. It was quite frustrating, to be honest with you. Right. But you got to think it's just something that they're going to shake off. If we see a repeat performance of last week, if Syracuse is 1-1 one one because the offense is inept, man, then I think we start to have that conversation ahead of the Clemson game. I, I agree with you. So I'm not hitting the panic button either because there are, there are valid reasons for DeVito's struggles so far. But he was 1-9 for nine on passes over 10 yards against the Liberty Flames. Zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Throwing some shade I mean, on that I know. Flames name. Well, no, look. I, 
<laughs> but but there there is um you know everyone's interest should be at least peaked at this point and there should be kind of a microscope on this Maryland game but to me the coaching staff needs to protect Tommy DeVito uh and kind of come out with a run heavy offense because right now he's he's in a bit of a vulnerable spot at this point in the season they've played one game Right, so it's all sorts of overreactions based on that one game. Right, and it's kind of like I've been talking about this on a couple different platforms. It's like the first date, and you hear a lot of podcasts talking about it. Solid Verbal was talking about it. You go out on your first date as a team, and sometimes the first date doesn't go quite as well. For Syracuse, it started out slowly, but then it went back to normal. It's it was a little bit awkward at the beginning, but then it goes back to normal, and then on the second date. That's really where you can take off. And that's just kind of how I feel about this team. And at this point, they're meeting expectations. It was a sloppy first half, but at the end of the day, they destroyed Liberty. Yeah. And if the offense was clicking, they would have destroyed him even more. But maybe you got to credit the Flames defensively a little bit too. So it's tough to say anything after week one. But I think there's certainly no reason to be frustrated as a Syracuse fan right now. I agree, especially because we were warned by the head football coach, Dino Babers. He said, look... The offense isn't there yet. The receivers, the passing game, the timing, it's not there yet. Here's what's going to be great, the defense. Here's what's going to be great, the pass rush. And that's what happened. He was all he was all over it. Yeah. What he said was going to happen literally happened. So that has to make you feel good as a Syracuse football fan. Now, moving forward, they're going to face some more difficult challenges. And coming up after the break, we're really going to dial in on Maryland. And, Gail, I know you've been looking at the Terps a lot. I think we also might have differing opinions on how this game is going to take place. I have a feeling we will as well. Okay, so you'll want to stick around and hear that. Fizz Radio, score 1260, hour-long show, jam-packed today, getting you set for week two, Syracuse and Maryland, a big game, a dress rehearsal for the Clemson contest. Can the Orange stay undefeated? We'll find out. Come back with us. This is Fizz Radio on the score 1260. We're back on Fizz Radio. Jonathan Hoppy and Gil Gross with you. Thanks for staying with us. We talked about what last week meant. Now we're moving ahead to this week. The Maryland Terrapins. That's the opponent. Oh, and if you haven't heard by now, they scored 79 points against Howard. 79 <laughs> points, but the key thing there, against Howard, an FCS school. So, Gil, we're going to break down this matchup where Syracuse needs to take advantage. And I know you think the Terps present some problems. Yeah, I feel like the the Terrapins have a lot going for them. So new coach Michael Loxley, DJ Durkin out with that extremely unfortunate and and disappointing scandal last year. Loxley's a guy who is really good with recruiting in the DMV area, and where we've already seen that is in the transfer portal. So he has absolutely killed the game with the transfers. New quarterback Josh Jackson from Virginia Tech. A new linebacker from... Ohio State, Keandre Jones. That's a four-star guy. Linebacker from from Clemson, Shaq Smith, another four-star guy. And these are local players who are coming back to play for Loxley. And, and, you know, he's the sell there. A all-Mac tight end from Buffalo as well. I mean, the list goes on and on. He absolutely killed the transfer portal. And because of that, this team is underrated going into this season. Right, so Mike Loxley, the same guy that picked up his fourth win as a head coach in his 35th game. Is that who you're talking about? 
That's right. Uh, what a weird that, career. What a weird career. I mean, this... that really means nothing in the scope of this game, but it's yeah. just really funny to point out that he was three for 31 at New Mexico State. And then Nick Saban says, I'll take him. It happens all the time, and it's a crazy thing. Butch Jones for Tennessee, he gets axed. Now he's at Alabama. You see him on the sideline. <laughs> Mike Loxley is one in the same in that he goes there, and it's kind of like a rehab for coaching careers. It's incredible. You start from the bottom, and then next thing you know, you're an offensive coordinator on probably the best offense in the country last year up there with Clemson. Uh-huh. And now you're the head coach at your dream school. Yeah. It, it's, it's really crazy. But I want to focus on Josh Jackson because I think the Syracuse offense gets clicking I don't think Jackson's going to be able to match. I think Tommy DeVito is the better quarterback. And I know nationally that might – I just don't think Josh Jackson is as good as the national perception thinks he is. And I think that's where Syracuse takes advantage today. They get after him, and the rest takes care of itself. Well, I, I can actually agree with you on that one. I don't think it's the passing game for the Terrapins that's really going to hurt Syracuse. Now, Josh Jackson nearly threw for 3,000 yards as a freshman – he he has a good kind of balance of passing and running. He scored 20 touchdowns through the air, six touchdowns through the ground. That's as a freshman at Virginia Tech. He gets injured, and early last year, now we'll see what he can do with the Terrapins. Had not played great his sophomore year. They lose yep. at Old Dominion in a game that he started and got injured in the fourth quarter. One of the worst losses in program history for Virginia Tech ODU, Ryan Willis takes over. Mm -hmm. At the end of the year, he comes back, and they say, you've got to re-earn your spot. Doesn't like it, transfers. Now he's at Maryland. So that's kind of the situation with him, and to me, that raises some red flags. Is A, if you were really that good, you could have stayed at Virginia Tech and won the job back. So clearly, he wasn't even in the mood to be in competition with Ryan Willis, who is a pretty average quarterback. I mean, VT... Couldn't even beat Boston College week one last week. So I just have my questions about him. And I think for some reason, as freshmen, when these players come in and do pretty well, people freak out. And that uh -huh. happened with him. And now he's got all this hype around him when, in reality, I think he's a pretty average quarterback. It's a good point, and you also need to look at Maryland's receivers. They lost their top guy, Jay Sean Jones, that's to a, a torn big, ACL. That, that's a big loss for them. And then, do you know how you can always tell when a team's desperate at a position group, when they're moving, when they're moving guys because they realize that they have a problem, and they take Sean Sav Savoy, who's also a Virginia Tech transfer, and they make him play. They they think he's going to play defensive back, and then they realize that they have such a big problem at wide receiver that they need to convert him back to receiver, which is what he played for the Hokies. So, you know, they're they're really reaching for straws at the wide receiver position. They're looking for answers there. That, Josh Jackson, and the Syracuse pass rush, the secondary, the strength of the defense, I don't think Maryland really hurts SU through the air. Now, on the ground, you think might be the problem. Anthony McFarlane, 1,000-yard rusher last year. Some would say on a good team, he could be a Heisman kind of guy yep. at running back. He's that talented. And to me, that's the biggest matchup of this game is McFarlane versus the SU linebackers and the SU Agreed. defensive line containing him. So do you put the faith in Lakeem Williams, Andrew Armstrong, the freshman Michael Jones? Do you think they'll step up and stuff the run? Not exactly. I, I mean, I I almost think it's too good to be true. I mean, that would be in, extraordinarily what impressive. What do you mean? The team uh, 
let up negative rushing yards against Liberty. I just don't, don't equate, expect that to continue. No, I just don't equate it. So here's how good Maryland <laughs> is. Do I. Yeah, yeah. Here's how good Maryland is as a, as a running team. They are top ten among Power Five schools last year. They were, I should say, top ten among Power Five schools in yards per carry. Top twenty in total yards, and that's all behind an Anthony McFarland running back who reminds me kind of of Dalvin Cook. The acceleration, the high-end speed, uh, and the the running smarts. He's somewhat slippery, but he's not he's not really the guy who's going to make make a ton of guys miss. He's the guy who's going to pick the right hole and fire through that hole with blazing speed. And he's also a pretty sturdy back. He's This is a guy who rushed for 298 yards against Ohio State. They didn't have a, run, a great running defense, but they nearly made the college football playoff. Anthony McFarland can hurt defenses. So to me, all the talk about this Syracuse defense that you think could get hurt by McFarland is on the pass rush and the secondary's ability to cover the pass. But not a lot of people are talking about stopping the run because I think people think the stats were inflated by all the sacks in the backfield, which goes with the pass rush and the defense of the passing game. But to me, Josh Black is a run-first kind of D lineman. Guy never even had a sack until this yeah. year. Yeah, but Kenneth he's rough. He, is yeah. a big dude. I mean, they're guys. they're just not Chris Slayton though. And I know that's a that's a tall task, but even with Chris Slayton, I don't think Syracuse has defended the run very well historically. When you look at their performances against a guy like Travis Etienne, Cam Akers, uh, the Boston College, right? AJ Dillon. You could make an argument that even though Chris Slayton is gone. I'll take my chances stopping the run this year more than I would last year. I think this the interior of this defensive line is as good as we've seen it in the Dino Babers era. Do you think Andrew Armstrong... And that might be a snap judgment, but that's how I'm feeling right now, and it's hard not to after what we saw against the Flames. Do you think Andrew Armstrong and Lakeem Williams can live up to what Ryan Guthrie and Kylan Whitner did last year replacing the starting linebackers. I do, and for some reason, right, the narrative around this has been that losing Kylan Whitner and Ryan Guthrie is going to be nearly impossible. Well, Armstrong played a lot last year and was very effective in mm-hmm. some big moments. Now, Williams is a special team guy, but he led the team in tackles. He led the team in tackles week one, so I don't care who you're doing it against – that's a nose for the football. And there's actually more optimism around the unit this year than there was last year. I think not only will they replace, but they've got a chance to be even better. And I know Whitner and Guthrie got better as the season went on, but I think Armstrong and Williams have a very good chance, along with those freshmen and some other guys, mm-hmm. to be better in the middle of the defense than Syracuse was last year. That would be that would be impressive because the the linebackers, with the exception of the game against Pitt, where the Orange really got ran on pretty badly, with the exception of that game, Whitner and and Guthrie were an aberration. So when you look at this Maryland matchup and you look at the running backs they have and Josh Jackson, who's really not a mobile threat, they've got another quarterback they can bring in to run. Where do you have problems if you're looking at the Syracuse defense? Who are you concerned about? What positions are you worried about? Because to me, at this point in the game, there's not an there's not a glaring weakness on this defense. Well, don't get me wrong. I don't think that 
the defense is the problem at all. But I, I also don't think that Maryland is going to get shut down. And the problems, the weaknesses with the defense, I feel like the linebackers are unproven. And the middle of the D-line, the run-stopping aspect of the D-line, that's what I feel like is unproven. And they're going up against a power. You know, I'm not... I don't think it's throwing shade to say that Anthony McFarland is going to have a big day. Anthony McFarland had a big day against a lot of really good teams last year. Keep in mind, Frankie Hickson, Liberty, 1,000-yard rusher, a senior running back in Syracuse, shut him down. And I know it's the Flames and maybe a weaker O-line. Certainly they had lost some guys, but I don't think Maryland doesn't have the best O-line in the world. So I think it's a doable task. We'll have to wait and see what happens. Syracuse and Maryland coming up later today. A noon start. We'll have all the coverage for you. OrangeFizz.net. Follow us on Twitter at OrangeFizz as well. We'll have some photos from the game and everything like that. But coming up on the other side, we step back into the SU circles. Which players shined in week one? Which players are we a little bit concerned about? We'll get into that and much more here on Fizz Radio. Just about halfway home here on Fizz Radio. Still plenty more to bring you. Thanks for joining us on this Saturday morning. Or if you're listening to us on the podcast as well, which will drop somewhere around the same time each week. This is Fizz Radio. Jonathan Hoppy with Gil Gross. Now we're back into Syracuse telling you which players you should keep an eye on this week. Which guys struggled last week and who is looking to repeat a pretty good performance. So Gil, for me, it all starts with the receivers no one had a good day. Nobody. I agree. That that was the most disappointing and surprising aspect of the Syracuse offense. Tommy DeVito struggled, but again, there there are reasons for it. It's his first start, and you know it's it's kind of a tough spot. And he's not the he wasn't kind of the automatic on the Syracuse offense. The automatic was supposed to be the receivers. Dare I say? And Tristan Jackson, Taj Harris, Sean Riley. They all had spots where they had drops. They all had spots where the timing didn't look right between them and DeVito. It was not good. Aaron Hackett caught the first pass of the season. Who had that? Who had that <laughs> in the uh, bingo pool? Aaron right. Hackett. Not to say that that's really a bad thing. Surely he can be involved in the offense, but that's kind of how the day started, and that trend continued because we saw the entire day DeVito never on the same page with Tristan Jackson. They just weren't. So that's something I'm excited about seeing today because you got to think they hit routes all week long. Yeah, that's that's the big kind of combination to be looking out for because there were multiple times in that game where Jackson zigs and DeVito thinks he was going to zag. And when that happens two, three times over the course of a football game, you know that the next week they're going to make sure that that doesn't happen again. So wide receivers stock down. I mean, we had so much hype for the wide receiver group, and they did not deliver. Neither did Tommy DeVito. So those are kind of the obvious ones. Now, defensively, we've talked a lot about it. Christopher Frederick, who I think is well-respected as a coverage guy in the ACC, Mm -hmm. he got burned a couple times by Gandy Golden. That's a legit NFL-type prospect. So you can't really come out and say that Frederick's stock is down, but it's something to watch for because you know who stocks up? And that's Ify Melifonwu. Yeah, what's scary about Ify is he has a pretty outstanding game. I mean, I thought it was pretty good. Very good. And 
Babers comes out in the postgame and says, ah, I think he can do better. And that's where it's like, oh, wow. So the, the expectations are pretty right. high. The for bar him. is so high. Right. I think he could be this team's number one receiver. And that's what's going to be interesting. Surely Clemson in a couple of weeks next week, they'll have two receivers, T. Higgins, Justin Ross. So there's no clear number one. But last week, AGG, they kind of rotated who was on him. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, if he made a great claim for that number one corner spot last week. And keep in mind, he just got the starting job. He was hurt last year, maybe would have gotten it after that UNC game. But Scoop Bradshaw is now relegated to special teams on this group because Melifon was that good. So for me, there's no individual player that took a step up like Melifon Wu did. I agree, and that that was so inevitable from from last year. I mean, one of the uh, I'll just say this: a sharp prediction after last year would have been that the corner, the number one and two cornerback duo this year was going to be Melifonwu and Christopher Frederick, because Frederick was underrated. He he had a very, very good year. Much so he had a very good year last season in coverage, and then Melifonwu he shined in that UNC game, and he he showed his potential. Where I mean, they they were literally. The Tar Heels, they tried to pick on him, and he said, no, 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 like Dikembe Mutombo. Right. I mean, that was probably, I mean, I want to say that was one of the best individual performances of the season. I think so. That's what you think of when you think UNC. You think Tommy DeVito, and then you think Melifonwu. But the other group defensively stock up interior defensive linemen. I mean, keep in mind, McKinley Williams is out, which pushes Kenneth Ruff to the starting lineup. So Chris Slayton, McKinley Williams, your two starters from last year, unavailable in week one. And Josh Black comes in and gets his first two sacks of his career. Huge day for Josh Black. Really impressive next man up mentality. And, uh, I mean, that's that's something that's very an impressive thing to see out of a Syracuse team that historically, what's been the issue? The depth. That's And Babers has come in, and ever since the start, He's basically said where we want to get with recruiting is we want to get in a place where there's some depth. So to have Syracuse lose their nose tackle, a defensive tackle, via injury, and then have someone step up like that, I don't think that's something we're used to. No. Depth has always been a problem, and Coach Babers has said that. You're starting to get the depth, which is intriguing because that's what could push this team to the next level. And the depth on the offensive line to sort of switch fields over to the offense. You know, Sam Heckle goes down. They switch some things up. Ryan Alexander gets some run. I'm excited to see how that shapes out this week because we don't know if Heckle's going to play. And if he does, what does Alexander look like at a tackle spot? A guy who we thought would be like Coda Martin from last year come in start wide right away as a grad transfer. That hasn't been the case. But I thought the O-line looked good, and I wrote an article about this, orangefizz.net. There's also a Stock Up, Stock Down written article by Tim Leonard, so make sure you check that out too. I thought the O-line did well. I don't know what your take was on that, but I think I gave him a B-minus for running game and a B-plus for pass protection. Yeah, I saw some people blaming the O-line for Tommy DeVito's struggles, I and I think that's completely I off base. I couldn't disagree more. Yeah, I, actually, I totally— We have another article, Fizz Film Room, where you see the play where he throw the interception uh-huh. in the end zone. All day. Just some heads-up plays where he's got to throw that ball away. On that, let's just go back to that pick, because I think this is a good play to look at when it comes to Tommy DeVito. 
He has Taj Harris, who ended up being the intended target. He has him wide open on the left side on a curl route, which, you know, he, he beat his man on that curl route. So the easy 10-yard pass was there, and DeVito just kind of missed it. Then he rolls out to his left towards the sideline. It's an obvious throwaway play. You've He's got to throw it away. Right. He, he should have thrown it out of bounds, and he tries to force a pass to the same receiver who was open about, you know, three, four seconds ago. And that's the interception. So I think that's an interesting play to go back to. But, yeah, we're, we're in agreement. And I just saw it on Twitter. You know, I just saw some Twitter wahoos kind of blaming the O-line, <laughs> <laughs> just blaming the O-line for, for DeVito's struggles. And I think we both saw things very differently. The offensive line, and listen, relatively speaking, I mean, keep in mind, these are things you got to think about. DeVito makes his first career start. Hopefully he won't make a play like that interception in the end zone ever again. That's just an ill-advised young quarterback kind of play. And that's something where you look at the film and Dino Babers and Mike Lynch, they're going to look and say, hey, you got to throw this ball away. And I think he will. But the O-line, so much shuffling in preseason camp. Then they finally get five, and Sam Heckle gets hurt in the first half, and somehow they keep it together. For me many more positives than negatives in that game for the offensive line. Yeah, it's a vulnerable position with Coda Martin gone and Aaron Roberts gone and you know you you lose both your tackles. It's 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 tough. Uh, Cody Conway is is the other name. Now the running game wasn't great. So maybe that's why the offensive line can get a little bit of blame. Mm-hmm. Mo Neal, Abdul Adams boxed up a couple of times. Dino went to the two back look and that didn't really have much success either. But in space, those guys performed well on screen. So right. it, it, it's tough to say after one week that there's going to be a problem with the running game. The whole offense looked bad. So if, yeah. if you're going to say that, then, then you're going to say that you know the whole offense looked bad anyways. But what do you make of the running game after week one? They didn't dial up a lot of creativity. It was very kind of simple meat and potato runs. And the results weren't there, especially in the interior, running between the tackles, running between the hash marks. Syracuse needs to find more effectiveness with guys like Mo Neal, Abdul Adams, Jarvion Howard in, in short yardage situations. That is That was an area where I was surprised because with I expect a lot out of these backs with how, with how much Syracuse improved last year, with the fact that there's three of them, so you can really keep fresh legs out on the field. I really like that position group. And, again, if, if they get space, if they get good blocking, I feel like this should be a run-first offense, not a pass-first offense. I don't know how you feel about that. How I feel is we could have done this segment in, like, 30 seconds and come back and said, hey, offense, stock down, defense, stock up. Thanks for listening, <laughs> right? I mean, that's pretty much right. the story of it. And before we go to break... I want to say that the short yardage package with Jarv Howard and Chris Elmore, that's got to be one of the best short yardage packages in college football. Is it performing like one of the best short yardage packages? If, if you're looking at last year, right, because Jarvan Howard's on the team, Chris Elmore's on the team. I'm talking really in goal line situations only. Okay. When can you think of that that unit is not getting it done at the goal line? I, I agree with you, I, and I'm I'm the biggest Jarvion Howard fan you'll find. I mean the 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 power that he possesses, I really think it's it's elite Power Five D one power that Jarvion Howard. If you look at you know 
the kind of the kind of numbers he's putting up in the weight room. It's like Saquon Barkley numbers. He's a big dude. Yeah. Uh, so I have faith. I have a lot of faith in Jarvion Howard to run to run over a linebacker at the goal line. Those are the big biggest developments after Week One. When we come back, we'll close up the show. Fizz feedback gets your voice heard as we go through the tweets, and we'll also give our predictions for Syracuse in Maryland. The question everyone wants answered: Can the Orange stay two and zero and possibly bring game day to Central New York for the first time ever? Hopefully, the Orange focused on this week's opponent, Maryland. We'll get into the picks and more right after this. Welcome back to Fizz Radio. Jonathan Hoppy, Gil Gross. Closing up shop this week, Syracuse in Maryland. That's later today. An exciting time to be a Syracuse fan. Can't believe these games are already starting to pick up. We'll get to our picks in a moment. But right now, we want to hear from you. We put out some polls like we always do each and every week. Fizz feedback. Let's start with the first one. How many touchdown passes will Tommy DeVito throw for? Gil, let's see if you can guess, not necessarily what you think, okay, but see if you can guess what Fizz Nation is thinking. And we do ask that you play along as home, at home as well. So how many touchdown passes for Tommy football? Zero, one, two, three plus. I bet most people voted for two. That is correct. 54% of Fizz Nation said two. I think that's a good bet. I would say two or more, I'd take that. Yeah, I would say I would I would be two or less, I would say. So I think two two is definitely in the realm of possibility. But I do think that this is going to be a, a run-heavy game plan uh, for Syracuse. And I think they need to rethink how much they're letting... T- Tommy loose early. They need to ease him into this. This needs to be Project DeVito. Project boost his confidence. Project get that completion percentage over 50%. What position group are you watching most on Saturday? Now this one's interesting. I want to I tell you the options. Wide receivers, linebackers, secondary running backs. Maybe left off a couple groups. Did not put quarterbacks on purpose and did not put the O-line, which maybe I should have. Because a lot of people commented OL. So out of those four I mentioned, wide receiver, linebacker, secondary, running back, which one? So I cheated on this one because this one popped up on my feed and I did vote. You voted for wide receivers? I did not. So I disagree with the people. Disagree. Who'd you vote for? I voted for the linebackers. Okay. Yeah, I would say wide receivers just to see if they're on the same page with Tommy or not. I think they're going to be fine. And so I'm not. Uh, there's not that much intrigue for me there. I, I I certainly admit that it was a brutal showing against Liberty, but something about the group and the the number of options Syracuse has. For for example, let's say Sean Riley has another bad game. Insert Nikeem Johnson, and you're not really losing anything there. So I feel like there are options to play with. Let's say Tristan Jackson uh, flops again. Insert Sherrod Johnson. Maybe he's good. So I feel like there's so many options to play with that the wide receivers are going to be fine. The linebackers, I'm just interested to see, can they perform against a top back? So then how confident are you that Syracuse beats Maryland? Very, eh, not at all. Not at all. Well, what's the difference between eh and not at all? (laughs) Eh is like, I don't really know, right? Eh is like, eh, I'm not that confident, but I'm not, you know 
right. unconfident. I, I, it's not – no, I don't want to be misconstrued. It's not that I don't think Syracuse can win, but confident is a strong word. I'm going to go not at all. Wow. Okay, see, this is where this is where we we really vary. I'm very confident that Syracuse wins this game. In fact, my prediction is Orange 38, Terps 24. Make sure to check out our crystal ball picks online, orangefizz.net. All of the staffers will pick the game, and I think we've got some split results. I know I think you're probably on Maryland, a couple other people on Maryland too. I mean, this is a big game for those records online. <laughs> this is this is gonna this is gonna just determine some things. This is where you get that perfect record or not so much. Right. Yeah. To me, uh, I'm I'm not confident. I, look, I agree with the the betting odds, which have shifted towards Maryland right now. Maryland's a favorite in this game, and I'm I'm in agreement with that a little bit. I if you're gun to my head, I think I think the Terrapins get it done. What's your score? It is 27-24, Maryland. So if you had to say in 30 seconds why you made that pick, yeah, what's your pitch? My pitch is that Syracuse is going to have trouble stopping a an elite running game with Anthony McFarland and Maryland. And on the offensive side, if you look at Tommy DeVito's entire body of work so far, over 100 snaps, he hasn't shown me enough to warrant confidence in his ability to manage and win a football game. That makes sense. I mean, I, I don't know if the Maryland running game is elite. And I know that McFarland's a good back. I also know they lost some people on the offensive line. Yep. And they're working, Three out of five starters. And they're working in a new quarterback, Josh Jackson. So I don't want to think that everything's just going to transfer from last year. I'm actually surprised that Vegas spun from minus four Syracuse to plus two Syracuse. That shocked me because I think that's overreaction to the Howard score. And I think it's overreaction to what Syracuse looked like in week one, which at times was shaky. Like big picture, a lot of people took negatives away from Syracuse Uh more than positives on the national scale. But that's been the case the whole time. And my thing about the national scale is they're unsure about Tommy DeVito. Those that are confident in what he can do have Syracuse to the Orange Bowl. Those that aren't, aren't so sure. But I think the whole Vegas shift seemed like a huge overreaction to me. Well, I would spin it around on you and say maybe the opening line was a huge overreaction to last season. And what Maryland did, struggling, 5-6. and six, And what Syracuse did, having a fantastic season. Because last year doesn't matter anymore. And right now, the, the sample size we have for the current rosters, Maryland played a worse opponent, but they look better. This is going to be a fantastic game. I mean, this is going to be fun because either way, there's going to be a big result for Syracuse. Either yep. you get the win, you're 2-0, Clemson likely 2-0 and likely game day, or you lose and people really, they won't panic. But if the offense looks bad and Syracuse loses this game, people will immediately retract their 10-win comments because you figure they'll lose to Clemson, be 1-2. and two. You know, then you get two cupcake games, but then you go out there and you've got NC State, you got Florida State on the road, even Friday night against Pitt. I mean, this is a ginormous game. You could argue that this is the biggest game of the season. And there's so much at stake because of the potential hype with the Clemson game. The Tigers have a big game this week as well. 
But if both of these teams go into week three, three or excuse me, yeah, yeah week three, two and zero, oh, I mean that's going to do a lot for what the game means opening night at the Carrier Dome. People have been hyping this up as a trap game since the schedule came out. Yep. Just because where it lies, and I think that's why I'm sticking with Syracuse here. I've never really bought into that hype like some have. And I think Syracuse gets it done. It's almost a case where so many people think it's a trap game that I'm not sure it is anymore. Uh, maybe. I know what you're saying. But to me, a trap game is a trap game. And this this checks off all the boxes, especially because Maryland's underrated. All right. That's Gil Gross. I'm Jonathan Hoppy. Thanks for listening to us. Orange Fizz Radio on the score 1260. If you're catching the end of this show and want to hear more, check us out wherever you get your podcast by searching Orange Fizz. Fizz Nation, enjoy the game, and we'll talk to you very soon.